Welcome Ford Sasser to the Life As We Know It podcast. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, and uh, Happy New Year. Hey, I'm looking for a lot better year this year than last year. Yeah, 2020 was uh, quite the year, huh? Very, very different. Very different. How, how was, uh, what was kind of some of the best parts of 2020 and what were some of the not so great parts? Well, it's... Uh, uh, hard to identify the good parts because all I can focus on is the coronavirus and how what an impact that had on on all of our lives um but my prayer is that it's uh this vaccine that's coming out is going to uh that we can get that into as many people as possible and begin to see the the end of the coronavirus kind of takes me back to uh, I remember when I was a little boy growing up and uh they were vaccinating everybody for polio back in in those days. Oh wow! And uh, all the kids in school, we'd get lined up for our polio vaccinations. You know, so anyway, it's not the first time that our country's been through something like this, but it's the first time the recent generation's been through something like this. And so it's uh, it's definitely had a, a big impact on the way we do business and the way we live our lives. And uh, in some things. We, might not go back and uh but my hope is is that in most things we will go back i think it's you know social interaction with people i think is important i mean you know right socializing and getting together you know, i don't care if it's a sporting event or just going to a restaurant with people i i mean i think that's healthy and i think not doing that is unhealthy yeah i think that one of the things that i really do miss is i miss that i miss just like um taking a lot of those little things for granted that we didn't even really realize um how important or how fun those were just lunches or breakfasts and just being in a crowd or going to games like I, we just talked about it earlier where you were, weren't able to go to the Alamo bowl this year. That's right. Um, because of this kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a bummer, but it's really been a, definitely a strange, uh, a strange year. And hopefully with the new vaccine, all of this stuff kind of, well, I'm optimistic going into the new year. I'm optimistic. Yeah. You, you know, kind of have to be right. Not only from a social standpoint, but I think businesses are going to do better. I mean, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I just feel positive, positive about it. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you being the president of Rio Bank and having that kind of responsibility, how long have you been at Rio Bank? You know, I went to work at Rio Bank in April of 1999. So it's been quite a few years now. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. So the two th- so you've been in charge of the 2000s pretty much. Uh, pretty much all 2000 years uh, I've been there. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so so I guess tell me a little bit about that. Like how did you how did you get into the how did you get into that role? Uh, what was kind of the, the situation back then back in the late 90s where was well, kind of real bank where were you at you know actually let me let me take you back even further than that okay. because really uh you know the the better question is is you know i think in everybody's life everybody you know everything you do is building on one thing after another mm-hmm. and uh when, when i got out of school uh i went to work uh, for the state as a as a bank examiner i i worked uh, for the texas department of banking and i examined banks uh, for about four uh, a little over four years how old were you back then well whatever age you come out of college okay. uh, so i don't know so definitely in my early 20s mm-hmm. 
And uh, uh, and so I started off in Austin. They moved me to Odessa, then to Amarillo, then I was in Dallas, and then I spent a short time in Longview before they moved me to McAllen. All of this in that four-year window. So you wow. can see that I traveled around quite a bit. Mm. And then, uh, and so I was examining banks in the Rio Grande Valley. That's how I was introduced to the to the valley. Mm. Um, as a kid growing up in San Antonio, frankly, I really wasn't that familiar with the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, but once I got down here, I, I really enjoyed the valley. I enjoyed my time down here. I enjoy the blending of two cultures, you know, mm -hmm. the U.S. and Mexico, and and it, it was uh, it's just a, a great great place. Mm -hmm. um, although. I left the valley uh, in uh, the 1980s, uh, uh, early 80s, and moved to Beeville outside of Corpus Christi. Uh, went to work at a bank there uh, and lived there for six years uh, before I came back to the valley and went to work uh, at a bank um, down here that was part of a, a group of banks that I used to examine. So I'd kind of met the bankers and the ownerships and and the board and and uh, was asked to come back and so uh and i kind of uh, i was with that bank for a while then with another bank and and uh, and another bank you know uh, the banks kept changing ownership or kept you know or would be bought out and and uh, uh or have a change in management or something and and there was a time when I actually had even thought about getting out of banking. It was getting a little frustrating that, uh, uh, you know, you think everything's going great and then things happen you have no control over. And and so I was having lunch one day with a dear friend of mine and my and a partner, that, uh, uh, Danny Vela, who's in the uh, pharma yeah. pharmacy business. And Danny and I have been good friends for a long time. Um, we've done some business transactions together outside of banking and and so forth and I was having lunch with Danny in um, around Thanksgiving uh, time a little bit before Thanksgiving of 1998 oh, wow. and uh, Danny uh, I told Danny I was looking at getting out of banking uh, I'd been working for First Valley Bank they'd just been acquired by Norwest and almost before the ink was dry, Norwest became Wells Fargo. And, you know, I mean, my head was spinning and I thought, you know, here we go again. I'm, you know, this is, I'm going to go and do something else uh, to where I have more control over my life. And Danny uh, convinced me not to get out of banking. He said, you know, you need to stay in banking and, you know, maybe we ought to look at starting another bank or, or something. And so we actually worked through the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays of um, 1998 uh, on a charter application with the Texas Department of Banking. And so um, the first week in January 1999, um, the accountant, the CPA we were working with, asked me if I'd seen a stock offering on Rio National Bank. They were raising some capital and selling some stock. And, and I was uh, familiar with Rio National Bank. I knew they were in town, but I never really competed with them. They were more of a retail-oriented bank. I was more of a commercial lending uh, uh, banker, mm. uh, and, uh, and so I just didn't know that much about the bank, uh, but I read the stock offering, and uh, they, they had three primary uh, uh, shareholders, uh, uh, a uh, doctor here in town, Dr. Cayetano Barrera, that so many people know, mm -hmm. uh, and a great man. Uh, there is also a retired civil engineer who is deceased now, but uh, Dallas Nelson, 
a lot of people have heard of the engineering firm Fabian Nelson in Medina, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and he was the Nelson in that. And then there's a lady uh, here in town, uh, Ann Moore, that a lot of people know, great lady. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and they were the major shareholders, and, and so uh, we reached out to them about helping them recapitalize the bank, uh, having a change in management, and kind of taking the bank in another direction. And and they thought that was a great idea. We, we met with them. Uh, uh, we, uh, and so basically, Danny Vela and myself and, and uh, some other people you know, finished out that stock offering. We recapitalized the bank. And, and so we, we uh, rolled up our sleeves, went to work on, on changing the direction of the bank. Uh, we were just a small $30 million bank at that time. And, uh, uh, and so you fast forward to today, uh, we've gone from that little $30 million bank that just had two offices here in McAllen to, uh, I think last night we were about a $670 million bank and we have offices now, 14 of them from Brownsville to Roma. That's awesome. And, uh, so it's been a great ride. It's, uh, you know, been slow and steady, but it's been definitely, uh, steady and, and it's been exciting. And of course this last year, uh, the you know, you asked for a positive thing. Probably our big positive was moving into our new bank building there at McCall and the Expressway, and we're excited about that. I yeah. Mean, it's a, you know, hopefully it's a building that the community can be proud of, and uh, we're certainly proud of it, and I, I hope that uh, it's something new to our skyline in McAllen, and, and, and I'd like to think that uh, people are proud of, of, of seeing what went up there. Yeah, you know, um, one of the really cool things that I like about any time that I come back in, you know, from out of town to the valley, going down um, the interchange yeah. between uh, 2 and 69, I guess now is what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, is you can see within the skyline, you can see the real bank building there and uh -huh. the, you know, I don't know, what do you call those? Like, they're not necessarily pillars, but you've got those kind Perc of raised, uh, yeah, yeah. You get those kind of raised deals again just yeah. gives some really nice character to to the valley you know when we were building uh, getting ready to build that building and working with the architects of course they were asking you know what we were looking for and i had just come from colorado springs uh, where i'd been to the um, um broadmoor hotels up there and mm -hmm. and they kind of have a little bit of a Spanish style to them. There's not, you know, they're not really squared up. And I thought, you know, these are good looking buildings. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and so when I came back, I, I that's what I told the architects. I didn't want a building that was square. I wanted it to have a personality and a, and a different look. And so the building kind of has a little bit of a dog leg turn on it. Mm -hmm. and. And there's no straight lines on the sides, you know. They they come out, they go back in, and of course the the roof line is a little different. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, so it, it does kind of take on its own personality and own character. Right. It does have definitely have a lot of character. Yeah. So so you took it over at that point when you all um, got got vested into the bank. Did did they make you president as soon as you as soon as that happened, or how did that? Yes, uh, uh, they uh, uh, the the bank uh, president at that time had been a Mr. Dan Newey, who's deceased now, but Mr. Newey had been the, one of the original organizers, and and uh, along with Dallas Nelson and Cayetano and Ann and 
And, uh, and so um, I think Mr. Newey was approaching retirement age. And so he left on a Friday and I came in on a Monday as the president of the bank and um, worked there. I guess I was there about a month before I hired a gentleman by the name of Ed Zinsmeister, a uh, longtime Valley banker and very seasoned uh, uh, banker who uh, had been a first, with First City Bank, which then became Chase, uh, Chase Bank. Uh, and as a result, you know, then Chase started laying people off, and, uh, uh, and Ed was one of those casualties, no fault of his own, mm -hmm. uh, which was perfect for me because I couldn't afford somebody at that time with Ed's capabilities. Um, but uh, because they laid him off, then that made him affordable for me. And so Ed came on board and, and uh, played a very big role in uh, helping us um, uh, kind of clean the bank up and, and, and taking the bank in another direction. Well, you know, um, uh, Mr. Newey was more of a, I, I mentioned that he was more of a retail lender. Our lending portfolios at that time was more automobile financing, about the only commercial loans we did were floor plan and used car lots up and down 23rd oh, Street. Oh, wow, really? So, uh, and so what uh, I came in with a different approach. I, I like real estate. Uh, probably 80% of our loan portfolio is secured by real estate. And I, I like real estate. The amortizations are longer. Um, you know, our, our collateral doesn't rust. It doesn't get across the river into Mexico. It doesn't go anywhere. It's the customer right can, there. The customer can leave town, but he can't take our collateral with him. And, uh, and, and, you know, I can make one real estate loan today for 15 years and another one next month for 15 years. And now we're starting to see uh, a growth in in the size of the of the company, mm -hmm. and and uh, and so Ed was very instrumental in in helping me implement that strategy, uh, and then as time went by, we kept picking up other uh, great people. Uh, Kathy Grossman had worked with me at the mm -hmm. bank in Beeville, and she came in to help me on the operations side. Oh, she was with you since Beeville. Yeah. Oh, wow. way back there. And uh, that bank had been acquired, and it just so happens I, I knew it was thought it was a long shot, but I called her to see if she'd be interested in coming, and she told me she'd think about it and uh, would call me next week. Well, she called me on Monday and said, "Okay, I'm coming." <laughs> and I said, "Well, don't you want to come down and look at it?" She said, "Well, my husband and I drove down there over the weekend, and we decided we'll move." And I said, "Well, don't you want to know what it pays?" And her response was, "I'm sure it'll be fair." And so that, so she came down, and, uh, and then later Craig Lewis, uh, uh, yeah, who Craig. had been at Texas State Bank working for Glen Roney for many years, uh, he came on board and further strengthened the operations side of the bank. And so you know the Lord just blessed me with the right people at the right time. And and I've I've had people say, hey, you've done a great job at the bank, and honestly, the only thing I did was hire the right people and get out of their way, and they've certainly made me look good because of it. So, um, well, and I think that's the thing is, is you, you definitely in any type of leadership role, you always want to surround yourself with people that are better, smarter than you. And, exactly. You know, um, that's, you don't don't want your ego to get in your way, or else uh, you end up if you you know you can't run it. There are too many moving parts to be on top of everything. Right. So you better surround yourself with good people and yeah. rely on them to help you. 
So what was what were some of those challenges? I mean, um, coming in and, and taking over and changing changing direction, what was some of the hardest things that you kind of had to deal with from then to now? Well, uh, you know, I'm, 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 at that time, I was creating a whole new culture uh, within the company. And, uh, and sometimes that's difficult for customers. It's sometimes it's difficult for employees. Uh, you know, you're trying to find, get the right people in there. And uh, the bank was having some financial problems then. We were had uh, issues with our regulators. And, um, and we were a nationally chartered bank then. The, the name of the bank was Rio National Bank. That's right, I remember that. Yeah, and so um, after we got, got the balance sheet cleaned up and, and no longer had the regulatory problems, which took us maybe two, two and a half years, I guess, um, then as soon as uh, we got that taken care of, I went up to Austin and we converted our charter from a state, uh, from a national charter to a state charter. You know, in the U.S., we have what's known as the dual banking system, and you can operate a bank uh, under a federal charter or you can operate a bank under a state charter. And um, to the customer, there's no difference. They're, both their deposits are FDIC insured. Uh, but if you're a national bank, you have to have the word national in your name, uh-huh. or you have to have the letters N-A behind your name. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't and know And so, that. you know, but like I said, for the guy on the street, you, you wouldn't know that or pay any attention to it. Uh, but uh, anyway, if uh, so we dropped the word national from our name, and that's why today we're just called Rio, Rio Bank, bank. and uh, changed our logo and uh, uh, and. I had a, uh, somebody asked me one time, you know, well, why, why do you want to be a state charter bank? And I said, well, really, there's some economic reasons. Uh, one is it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the assessment fees, the OCC for national banks charge are, are higher. Um, and so it was less expensive to be a, a state charter bank. And uh, also state charter bank had a little larger legal lending limit. At that time, that was important to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, our legal lending limit's so big that hardly anybody even approaches it. Um, uh, and uh, But at that time, having a higher legal lending limit was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the intangible was is that some of the guys I used to be examiners with now had desk jobs in Austin. And, and I could get in my car and drive to Austin and see the commissioner of banking, but getting an audience with the comptroller of the currency in Washington was not going to be easy. A so a little tip more difficult. Yeah, so I, I just felt like there was an intangible benefit being a state chartered bank as well. So that was a really good move just yeah. as you kind of grew. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, you know, since since you've started it to now, I mean, that's that's a huge growth. You were at $30 million, now you're at 670 That's I. Not good at math, so I'm in advertising, no. but it's six six hundred and forty million, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's a that's that's a huge percentage increase. Uh, are are were there kind of like milestones in terms of you know uh, big successes or turning points where you really kind of saw? Well, I you know of course in the beginning you're thinking, boy, we're a thirty million dollar bank. It should be great to be a hundred million dollar bank. Then when you get to be a hundred, you go, well, it should be good to go be 150 you know (laughs) and and every time that you would grow you realize you kind of have to take a step back and I used to refer to it as we have to reinvent ourselves in other words the way we did business when we were a 30 million dollar bank is different than when we were 100 
and it was different as 100 than it was when we reached 200 million. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, about two years ago, we, uh, uh, we made an acquisition. Uh, we acquired the Elsa State Bank, mm -hmm. and uh, their branches were spread out uh, in, uh, from Westlaco to Roma. And so and that complemented uh, uh, their footprint, complemented our footprint. So it turned out to be a great uh, uh, marriage between our two banks. And, uh, and so that was uh, a big boost for us and jump. Um, so, you know, there's always these milestones, uh, but, of course, the, the big one was the acquisition yeah. that we did. And that was, uh, you know, and it was a local bank, so most of their customers already kind of knew who we were. I mean, they might not have banked with us, but... They're familiar uh, with the brand. They ought to be familiar, yeah. I mean, they've probably seen my TV commercials, and mm -hmm. they go, well, we, at least we've heard of that bank. Yeah, you know, we know that guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I tell people I'm not necessarily the president of the bank, but I am the mascot of the bank. So. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely, definitely the mascot of the bank. So, okay. So it sounds to me like just what you've said so far, most of your life has been in banking. Did you, did your family come from banking? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I told you I grew up in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. uh, my, uh, uh, I, I do have some family history in banking. Uh, my great-grandfather, uh, I'm Ford Sasser III. My grandfather was Ford Sasser Sr. Mm -hmm. And his daddy, my great-grandfather, was a banker. Really? And uh, he was a banker in Charlotte, Texas. Where's, so, where's that about? Charlotte is uh, outside of Pearsall, if you're familiar with Pearsall, mm -hmm. which is about a third of the way from San Antonio going down towards Laredo. Mm -hmm. And Charlotte is out to the uh, east of Pearsall a ways. Okay. And, uh, uh, and so I, I do have that history. Uh, but frankly, I didn't know I wanted to be in banking uh, when I... Uh, you know, I loved football. I, I was a, I played football in high school. I, I went off to A&M to play football. My goal in life was never to be a, a football, I mean, to be a banker. My mm -hmm. goal in life was to be a high school football coach. I mean, really? That, that has been my dream since I was probably in high school was to be a football coach. Was that, was that inspired by one of your other coaches or did no, you just like, I guess, you just I enjoyed just, that? I just loved the game of football. I admired my coaches. And, uh, and so when I went to a and I, uh, I was a PE major and, uh, my first semester I was learning how to put lesson plans together for a PE class. And I thought, this has nothing to do with Friday night lights. I, you know, mm -hmm. and so I changed my major from PE to agricultural economics. Wow. And the only reason I picked ag, uh, ag eco is because that's what my daddy had studied when he was at A&M. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's what dad studied. So that's what I'm going to study. So your dad also went to to A&M. So he, you've got, he did. you have a, a little bit of tradition there. Yeah. And I kind of grew up with an ag background. Uh, my daddy had the John Deere tractor dealership in San Antonio when I was growing up. Oh, wow. And uh, he was friends with the Newhouse family that had Barbie Newhouse mm -hmm. there in Westlaco. Uh, you know, they would go on, John Deere would take them on these trips together. And so he'd get to know the other dealers. And, and so, um, and my dad sold equipment really all over South Texas. And, and, um, 
and and we had some ranch land. Uh, my mother is from Pearsall, and my mother's uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a, a he was a cattleman, and so my dad uh, and my uncle had cattle together, and so mm-hmm. I kind of grew up, you know, out on farms, out at the ranch, working cattle, you know. So you all work. had. And so that, Ranch that, that yeah, it. and so agriculture was in my blood, mm-hmm. and so I, uh, uh, so studying ag eco was kind of um, uh, a, good, a natural a good sort of fit for me, mm-hmm. uh, but I enjoyed the economic side of uh, ag ag economics and uh, and and my economics classes. I was always good in math. I wasn't good in many things in school, but. But math was always uh, uh, one one thing that I, I got that you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and economics I uh, got that and I enjoyed economics and I understand it and I you know I think economics is important I mm-hmm. you know it's as, interesting it, well and as we were talking earlier today I mean yeah. I I think uh, you know we have too many people that are economically illiterate you know that they mm-hmm. they don't understand. Uh, how things work and the importance of capitalism and and the uh, you know the way our, you know the way our country works and what's made us great. So I uh, uh, so I, I was as I was getting close to getting out of school. I I knew I needed a job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Actually, I joined the Marine Corps. And uh, because I, uh, they, the Marine Corps had a uh, program called the Platoon Leaders Course where uh, as long as you didn't take payment while you were in school, which at that time was $100 a month, uh, you didn't have to commit to take your commission when you graduated. Uh, but I did have to go to boot camp. I spent 90 days, three months at Quantico, Virginia, going through boot wow. camp in the Marine Corps. Was that rough? Uh, it's pretty rough. It's uh, the enlisted men go to Paris Island, South Carolina, or San Diego, California. But if you're going to be an officer, you go through training at at uh, Quantico. And so I, uh, I I went through that. Uh, so I was only on active duty for those 90 days, and then I was a reserve uh, sergeant for. Uh, an E5 while I was in school at A&M. Mm. Uh, and then when I graduated, I turned my commission down uh, uh, because at that time, you know, the war had ended in Vietnam. They were downsizing the military, and uh, and it just didn't look like a good career path. And so I, uh, uh, spring break, my senior year, I went home. My family had moved to Uvalde by then. My daddy had... Uh, started a, a tractor dealership in Uvalde as well as in Dilly, south of Pearsall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the family moved from San Antonio to Uvalde. And uh, my daddy had done some business with uh, a banker in a little town called La Prior. And, I mean, it's a little town. Like but 100 it, people? Yeah, <laughs> but they had a bank, and I went to go and see Mr. Spangler at that bank. He's the was the president of the bank, and I, I went in to see him, and I told him I was home for spring break, but I'd be graduating in May, and I decided I wanted to become a banker. And it, today was his lucky day. I was here to apply <laughs> for the job. And and Mr. Spangler looked at me and said, Ford, you don't want to work here. And I said, I don't. And he goes, no. He said, if you want to be a banker, you need to be a bank examiner. And I said, okay, well, what do they do? So he mm-hmm. explained the bank examiner position to me and he said 
gave, write, wrote down on a piece of paper uh, a gentleman's name by the name of Bill Aldridge, who was with the Texas Department of Banking. He gave me his telephone number, and he, he told me, he said, you call Bill Aldridge and tell him that I ask you to give him a call, and you go talk to him about a job. Mm. So I went back up to College Station, and I called Mr. Aldridge. I set up an appointment, and I got uh, all dressed up and combed my hair and got in my pickup, and I drove to Austin to see Mr. Aldridge and interviewed with him. Was that nerve-wracking for Oh, you? it was very nerve-wracking, you know, because I'm trying to find a job, and I have no experience at anything. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I remember driving back to College Station thinking, I don't think that went real well because I kind of got the don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> I've, uh, had, I've had those. Ending. Uh, and so I uh, then went to uh, a downtown San Antonio Bank, the old NBC Bank. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a big bank downtown, and they had an officer training program, and I got a job offer from them. And I want to say it was like, Thursday or Friday before I was supposed to start with the NBC bank, Bill Aldridge called me and said, Ford, you still want to be a bank examiner? And I said, I sure do. And he said, well, get to Austin. I got a bank for you to examine on Monday. Wow. So I put everything I owned in the back seat of my car and I headed to Austin to, uh, find a, find an apartment that was fully furnished. Cause I didn't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just the clothes on your back and, so and, a, and a here, car. Here we go, and uh, and so that's how I got started with the banking department, and which started my banking career. It uh, is ended up now with the Rio Bank in McAllen. Isn't it we weird or funny um, how these little life moments? You know, had you not gone and spoken with the bank president, yeah. Uh, out there and if he hadn't told you you know you probably want to be a bank examiner you may have never become a bank examiner which yeah. then never would have brought you to the valley you and know, then you know jerry everybody's got a story mm -hmm. this just happens to be my story yeah and uh everybody's story is the result of things that happen that they had no control over they're just along for the ride and uh, that's why I, I truly believe God has a plan for all of us. And uh, what we think is coincidence, I think, is just part of the plan. And so, uh, you know, God just put the right people in my life at the right time. And uh, I, I failed to mention to you that uh, my family moved to Uvalde the summer I went off to school at A&M. Mm. And, uh, uh, and a year and a half later, my daddy got sick and uh, and passed away. Oh. He, he got cancer, and so we ended up kind of getting, you know, having to get out of the tractor business. I've got two brothers, and uh, they were both still in high school. I was just a sophomore at A&M. When your dad passed? Uh, yeah. What so kind of cancer did he have? He had lung cancer. Okay. You know, he was part of that World War II generation. They mm -hmm. were all smokers, and, and you know, it just... Uh, uh, caught up with him yeah and so uh, so unfortunately I ha I mean I had a great dad uh, but the, you know we not only need our dads when we're growing up it's also great to have your dad when you're trying to become a businessman and there's a lot of things to learn from him then and unfortunately I, I didn't have that but I did have other good mentors along the way and uh, which is the point you're trying to make and right. that, that is the right people seem to have come along at the right time to 
to you know give me good advice from time to time on on things and uh and things have kind of worked out mm -hmm. but um yeah i uh, i uh, lost my dad at a very young age i mean he was like 47 years old oh and wow my mother was widowed at 41 so uh but uh, yeah yeah that must have been that must have been challenging for her sure but uh so growing up i mean the things that your mom and your dad instilled in you you have uh daughters right and i do so what were some of those things that you were that you learned from your parents that you kind of took on pat you know and have passed on whether they're like traditions or you know ways of thinking yeah well uh you know my uh, uh as a christian my my faith was grounded early my mother saw to it that my brothers and I were in church. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, we, we, I think had good grounding in the beginning. We understood the difference between right and wrong. I also think working in the country, there's just something wholesome about, uh, working. Uh, and, you know, you, there's a lot of, uh, you, you get a lot of street smarts is mm -hmm. what I'd call it, you know, and you kind of learn what's right, what's wrong. You learn that your your word is your bond. You, mm -hmm. you know when you shake hands with somebody, a deal is a deal, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and so there's there's a right way to treat people, and there's a wrong way to treat people. And so I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's um, I, I I can't think of good examples right now, mm -hmm. but from time to time, I'm always. Uh, something comes up in my life and I'll mention to my wife, you know, mm -hmm. you know, my dad always told me this. Right. And my, uh, and my wife is constantly reminding me, you know, your dad did a good job of raising you because you're always talking about your dad told you to this or your dad to that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so in the short time that I had my daddy, uh, I, I think he did a good job of getting my brothers and I well grounded mm -hmm. and, uh, Maybe it's because we lost our dad. I don't know. But mm -hmm. my two brothers are probably my two best friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, one lives in Corpus Christi. One lives in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, But uh, we do some business with each other. We mm -hmm. have, you know, some real estate investments together. We have different things we do together. Nice. And uh, our wives get along. Our, our kids all seem to get along. I mean, you know, it's... Um, and uh, one thing I've learned as a banker is not all families are that functional. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, uh, we, uh, you know, what I think is normal, I'm finding out is more unusual than, than, than normal. normal. Yeah. And are you the uh, older, younger, middle? Yeah, I'm the oldest, and we're each okay. about two years apart. We're about uh, about 26 months apart. Nice, each, each evenly spaced. Yeah. So you're not too you're not too uh, much older than your younger brother. So you all still have a lot of a lot of things in common. Right. We, you know, we just kind of have the same foundation, the same values in life, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and so you know they've they've done well in in business, and you know we've just uh, you know I'm proud of them. I think they're proud of me, and uh, uh, and so it's it's been it's been. We've been very blessed. It's been good. And are they in banking also? No. Uh, uh, my brother in San Antonio, uh, his name is Treves, which is a family name. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's uh, um, been in a real estate developer. 
uh, owns a lot of rental properties, apartments, uh, commercial properties, and wow. things, and and uh, and has done quite well for himself in the San Antonio market. Uh, my brother Stewart, uh, who lives in uh, Corpus Christi, he's actually in the cattle business. He's a rancher. Oh, really? Does. Uh, uh, runs cattle um, outside of uh, Beeville. He also has a place out in uh, West Texas around Marfa, and he goes back and forth uh, taking care of uh, cattle. Hmm. And were you the only one to to play football, or did they play? Yeah, football Yeah. Well, they played football. They were. Okay. Uh, they just didn't have a, a passion for it like I did. Well, what did you play? What was your position in football? Well, in in high school, I was a quarterback. Okay. And, uh, uh, and when I went to A&M, I, I tried to be a quarterback, but um, they it didn't take very long, and they moved me to the defensive side of the ball. I was a defensive back. Oh, and, really? Uh, and I, I really only played uh, just my freshman year. It became quite obvious that I was never going to move up the depth chart. Uh, I think I got in to play in one ball game uh, against Baylor one night, and that's only because we were winning by so much they put all the scrubs in there. Right? So, <laughs> so, like, so Sasser, get in there. Yeah, go ahead and play him. You know, I don't think he can hurt us Bro, too bad. We're winning but. eighty to zero. Just go. It was, some, it was something like that. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of A and M, man, what a season they had this Wasn't past that exciting? year. Exciting, man. Yeah, you know, I was really because they had that loss to Alabama, they, for them, I think that this year, A&M really got that short end of the stick when it came out to that playoff, you know, who was in contention for the, to, to, to be in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, to, to badmouth the East Texas, I mean, the uh, East coast uh, sports writers, I, I think it's, they just think that Notre Dame's more sexy than those country bumpkins from A&M. So. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things, you know, Notre Dame's brand be you know talking about brand i mean notre dame has built one oh, yeah. hell of a brand for college football i sure. mean they are they they're it so and it seems like every year they're i think it's like the the football fanatics they want notre dame to be back at that elite level yeah. they want notre dame to have that that prestige you know i mean they're already prestigious but you know what i mean just well i think a and m uh, of course, I'm, I'm biased, but I think A&M would have been more competitive in in the playoff game than what Notre Dame was. But mm-hmm. they didn't get a chance to do that. Well, so. you know, they definitely proved it in this in the last they, uh, bowl they, game. Yeah, they beat North Carolina, who's got a very good good football program, mm-hmm. and Mac Brown's the head coach over there, and he's been very successful both at. Uh, North Carolina, then he went to Texas, and now he's back, back at back North at North Carolina. Carolina. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I thought it was a really great game. I mean, I, I saw that game, and it was it, it really did feel kind of like UT in blue versus A and M. You don't get that anymore, right? Because they're not in the same conference I know, anymore. I, I uh, of course um, Texas is a big rival of of A and M, uh, and. I keep rooting for Texas because I want them to kind of get back to winning, so they they'll put A and M on their schedule again. But right. I'm afraid they're not going to put A and M on their schedule until they feel like they can compete with A. Yeah, not anytime soon, anyway. So, yeah. You know, but I I you know kind of just moving into that real quick. That, I thought I thought that that was a really good move by A and M to join the SEC. Yeah. Because you know, there was so many blue chip uh, high school uh, football players 
that were going to LSU and going to Alabama and going right. to because the SEC had has been such a powerhouse when it came to college football right. that they were just dismissing AM altogether. And it, I feel like it wasn't really until they joined the SEC that more people that were in and around, um, you know, uh, Brian felt like, you know, they could really contend and be yeah. close to home. So I thought that was a really great move. And I, it's 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 nice to see a And M move up the ranks, you know. Well, I'm glad to see them being competitive in the SEC. Mm-hmm. I was afraid they were going to get in over their head, but uh, yeah. you know, other than Alabama, they seem to be holding their own with the rest of the schools. Yeah, and it was really it was really cool to see in that game that the um, I can't remember the freshman running back who kind of scored. I think he scored the last two touchdowns yeah. in the game to kind of put him over the top. I mean. That was so great. I was. Uh, They've got some really good athletes yeah. at AM and I mean, it's significantly better athletes than when I was in school. So. Yeah, I mean, they're. I think that they're gonna they're gonna have a really great season too. And then, I mean, their head coach is a winner. Yeah, He's a winner. I I believe in him. Yeah, I believe in him. He certainly made a made a believer out of me in the in the couple of years he's been there. So when you see these games. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is your other career, your other passion career and yep. refereeing. So like uh, when you see these games and you're, and as you're watching these games, do you feel like you're watching them from that referee perspective where you can kind of see the hold or you can kind of see something or you can see that a referee maybe missed a call or. Well, sometimes, uh, you know, once you're a football official, then you kind of watch the officials like you, like people watch the ball game, you know, mm. and uh, you kind of tell, oh, that guy's, a, you, you can tell he's a really good official or mm-hmm. this guy's not, you know, maybe a little more mediocre or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, officiating uh, was, uh, I told you I wanted to be a high school coach and and uh, when that didn't work out and I was too old to play, and I, if I can't coach and I'm too old to play, then the only other thing I knew to do to get on the field was to be official. And uh, so it kept me as a student of the game and a student of the rules. And uh, and so it was a, a lot of fun and a, and a great uh, a challenge for me, while at the same time it was kind of therapeutic. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. once I get on that football field as an official, uh, once we blow that ball ready for play to kick off, the whole world is just right there on that football field, and I don't have any. Uh, You're lo- not thinking about anything. I don't else. worry about anything going on at the bank anymore. I don't think mm-hmm. about anything going on anywhere else because I, I just a uh, total concentration and focus on uh, on that game and what's in front of you. Yeah. And so, how did you how did you get involved, and how many years were you? In it. Yeah, you know, uh, I told you I just played one year of football at A&M, mm-hmm. and uh, when I was, uh, my roommate in the athletic dorm uh, at A&M was a, a guy by the name of James Gomez, mm-hmm. and James, coincidentally, was from Harlingen, Texas, and uh, uh, and after the maroon and white game in the spring that year, that's when I went to see my coach, uh, a gentleman by the name of Melvin Robertson, he was the defensive coordinator, and defensive back coach and I I talked to coach Robertson and asked him if it would hurt his feelings if I didn't come back and play next year and uh, and he kind of laughed and said no you know you you know but you're gonna have to move out of the athletic dorm but he said we'll put you in any dorm you want on campus and so A&M had just opened this new uh, 
girls dorm a, a co-ed dorm mm. they had boys on the top two floors and girls on the bottom two or vice versa i can't remember and and I go, well, put me in that girls' dorm, you know. Yeah. He goes, okay. So, <laughs> so that's where I that's where I moved. But James's daddy, uh, James also uh, quit officiating, uh, quit uh, playing football mm-hmm. uh, that year, and uh, and he said, you know, let's just stay roommates. So we both moved over to um, uh, Dunn Hall, which mm-hmm. was the the, the dorm. new dorm, and. Uh, but James's daddy was a high school football official here in the Rio Grande Valley uh, back in the late 70s. And he told us that uh, if we were going to quit, uh, uh, quit playing football, we ought to look at officiating football. And we kind of looked at each other and decided, okay, well, we'll try that. And so he kind of got us plugged in with the Bryan College Station chapter of officials. And we started officiating football for freshman and junior varsity games in the Bryan College Station area. Uh, uh, we'd travel with other officials and, and uh, go do these ball games. And, and then uh, when I got out of school working with the banking department, I told you how much I moved around. And so that kind of got me out of officiating because I was never in one place long enough to really get a chance to get back into officiating mm-hmm. And until I moved here uh, in uh, 86 and so in uh, 1989 is when I started officiating again mm-hmm. and uh, and I continued to officiate uh, from 1989 until well two years ago that's uh, right you just you recently retired right? yeah I uh, 2019 was my last season and uh, uh, and it was a great ride. I, I not only did high school games, I was able to move up and do college football games. Uh, I worked some arena football uh, games. I officiated games in New Mexico and Arkansas and Louisiana, really? all over Texas. And and so uh, you know, I uh, you know, it's like I tell people, uh, it's not like I officiated in the NFL so there are certainly officials that were accomplished a lot more than I did but I accomplished more than a lot of officials uh, mm-hmm. got to do and uh, and so it was a lot of fun I got to meet a lot of guys that uh, uh, as I said in the I wrote a book about officiating and uh, as that I, one right there right yeah and as I said in my book I said you know I don't, there's a part in there where I talk about uh, you know, I'm brought together with uh, other guys uh, uh, officiating different different races, different economic backgrounds, different. Uh, we come from different parts of the state of Texas, um, but we all come together with one thing in common, and that is uh, we all have a love for the game of football, and we all go out there striving to officiate a perfect game each each time mm-hmm. and uh, and we come off the field thinking okay how can I've officiated this thing better you know yeah. how, next time how could I do this better how could I do that better and uh, which is I think the goal of every official you know and uh, the, you know every official is just trying their best to get the call right mm-hmm. and uh, and do the right thing and so um, yeah, it's, it was a great ride. I, I really enjoyed my time in, in officiating. So you enjoyed it so much that you wrote that you wrote a book about it. Yeah. What uh, <laughs> what are some of the stories? Because I know you've got some stories in there. Yeah. Well, the book, uh, you know, my wife is not a big 
football fan, and she very seldom went to football games uh, for me. And uh, I think the last game she went to, uh, I had a ball game, a college game that I was doing in Cowboy Stadium. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, honey, you've never even been to Cowboy Stadium, regardless that I'm officiating a football game. Wait, the new one or the old one? In the new one. Oh, and yeah, the new one. Yeah, where the Dallas Cowboys play there in Arlington. Arlington, yeah. And so I said, um, uh, I've got these, this game. It's going to be Saturday afternoon at noontime or 1 o'clock. I said, we're going to go up on Friday. I said, I'll take you to the, watch the Texas Rangers play baseball on Friday night. Then we can go to the football stadium. You've never seen this a uh, big football stadium it's a, quite an impressive facility it is yeah and uh, uh you know and then that way you can say you've been in there so she decided okay i'll i'll go to the game and so um we we went to see the rangers play friday night and saturday morning i had to be over at the football stadium and i got her her tickets and so she and my two daughters uh came to the game and uh, uh and so they got a chance to see cowboy uh, stadium mm -hmm. uh and, and watch my game and then um that night we flew back to uh mcallen mm -hmm. uh, but my wife was uh, i would come home from ball games and i would tell my wife you know well you won't believe what happened in the game today you know what this player said to me or what this coach said or what what this kid did or what you know there's always something mm -hmm. and and it, you know it was funny you know yeah. I mean, most people don't realize what all goes on out there on a football field or what all's being said and, <laughs> and there's a lot of funny things that go on and so i would come home and tell my wife these stories and she kept telling me you know you ought to write those down so you don't forget them you mm -hmm. know and then that turned into you know I think people would enjoy your stories. You ought to write a book sometime. Mm -hmm. And so without her even knowing, I just sat down and started writing and I started writing and I, you know, and then that would remind me of another story and I'd start writing. And, and um, so anyway, I ended up uh, putting this thing together mm -hmm. and- uh, Can I uh, see it? Yeah. And so uh, it's, uh, I, I call it, why would anyone officiate football? Because it is, uh, you know, I've, I was always being asked, why would you want to go out there and do that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I, uh, I put this thing together. Um, there was a lady that was an English professor at uh, uh, UTRGV, and uh, she kind of edited the book for me, you know, kind of rearranged some of the things. She told me up front, I don't know too much about football, but I'll, you know, uh, do do the best I can. Well, actually, she did great. And mm -hmm. and once I kind of got the, they call it a manuscript uh, finished. Then I submitted it to a publisher in Florida, mm -hmm. thinking they would come back and say, "Well, we'll publish it for you. Send us a thousand bucks, and you know, tell us how many you want, and you can buy them." You know, I'm, I thought you know I thought anybody could buy buy them a book if they wanted to write a book. Well, the lady called me back and said uh, hey we've read your manuscript we think this is really good pat yourself on the back we reject most of them and i go wow wow i didn't think rejection was a, an option <laughs> wasn't part of it <laughs> and uh so uh so anyway they put me in touch with that's when some work began like the graphic artist has mm -hmm. to put this together they wanted this written back here they wanted something written here they wanted uh, a little bio, bio. on me here all, all of a sudden there was still more writing to do 
And uh, so I worked with them and got that done. And so anyway, it's you know you can buy the book on Amazon or That's Barnes cool. and Noble or whatever, and it's it's uh, it's out there. That's awesome. And so every once in a while, I get a little royalty check on it. But uh, hey, that's nice. I mean, but just to just to even have it, I think you know you talk about uh, or some of the things that you've accomplished. The being a president of a very successful bank, following a professional passion. And, and working in uh, and being a part of the game that you love in football and doing that and then writing a book, I think is that's just well, fantastic. I mean, yeah, um, and I tell, you know, war stories in there yeah. and, I, and, I, and I put in the book, you know, every official's got their stories. These just happen to be my stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I bet they're really relatable. I bet if other referees uh, read I, it. That I, I've had, I, I've read books written by other referees. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, and I thought, wow, you know, I mean, their experiences are very similar to my experiences, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, but yours might be different, and mine mine are going to be different from theirs. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, anyway, but yeah, I, I tell, uh, I mean, I talk about some of the local high school teams and coaches uh, here. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk about some of the coaches and players that I dealt with in college. You know, college football players, they talk to you more. Mm -hmm. uh, high school kids, they don't really talk too much to the officials. Mm -hmm. In college, they're a little more, you know, they want to know, hey, how much more could I get away with? You know, how how <laughs> yeah. close was that? Or what, right. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so they, they talk more to you, uh, and uh, so I, you know, I probably had more interaction with, with uh, players in college and more interaction with coaches in high school. Yeah, I would imagine that they're a little bit more um, rambunctious in college than they are maybe in high school. Well, they're they just to stay in their lane. They're, they're uh, you know, I mean, they're just, they want to push the envelope. You know, as a referee, am I, my, uh, uh, my my guy that I key on mm -hmm. or, or focus on was always the quarterback, and so mm -hmm. I was always getting these uh, defensive linemen coming in and hitting the quarterback, and then they'd look at me like, "Was that too close? You know, was I getting? You know, I mean, they want to know how close, you know." Yeah. Uh, and so, how do you feel about uh, about the rules of the game these days? I mean, because they they change, right? They've changed yeah, every year. Almost uh, about every two years now is uh, when they're formally supposed to change the rules mm -hmm. but uh, unless they think it's a safety issue they'll change uh, they'll make a, a tweak in the rules on an annual basis but um, the uh, uh, of course the rules are changing as the game changes you know right uh, back when I was playing football you know we had two tight ends and a full backfield nowadays you might have one quarterback and then everybody else is spread out from sideline to sideline so right. the game's a lot more wide open today uh which is requiring you know more officials it's requiring the officials to work wider and deeper and, mm -hmm. and so uh yeah so the, uh, the mechanics are changing the rules are changing uh, their new safety rules, which are positive things, you know, mm -hmm. like, like the quarterback, like and the targeting. You know, mm -hmm. you hear a lot about targeting now, and and uh, and the penalties are pretty severe. You know, for mm -hmm. um, you know, I can remember when that rule first came out, and I uh, my supervisor in college, simply because uh, the school was close, but I. He would send me up to uh, A&M Kingsville for their spring game, mm -hmm. uh, or if they had a scrimmage in August before their season started, I'd I'd go up there and go over the new rules with the players and the coaches, and 
I can remember the players asking me about this new targeting thing, and I said, look, I mean, it's not complicated, but you just got to lower your target. Right. You don't have to hit somebody in the head. Now, mm -hmm. if, if they lower their head, then that's one thing. But if they don't lower their head, then there's no reason for you to hit them in the yeah. neck or head area. You, uh, just go, you just go lower. Right. So anyway, uh, the players are adapting to it. Right. And, uh, and so what we're trying to do as officials is uh, what they used to celebrate as a, a brutal hit that, mm -hmm. that left a guy laying there on the ground and everybody complimenting the guy that hit him. Now they're trying to criticize the guy that hit him because you hit him too high and now you're going to be disqualified from the contest. So. Right. Yeah. I remember when all of that started happening, uh, NFL used to have, used to have, um, well, back then there were DVDs, um, but they would have film that was just like greatest hits, you yeah. know, and and like hardest hits and all of these things. And then when all of the rules started changing, they removed them all off the shelves because yeah. the, those things are no longer glorified like they were. And maybe. they're not even, in a lot of cases, they're not even legal hits anymore. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. You know, football's a violent game, but mm -hmm. there's a way to play it in a, in, a, in a safer manner. What do you think is the, the thing that you like best about football? You know, uh, I think that the team concept, in other words, there's no one person that wins the ball game. Mm -hmm. It's a team sport. And I don't care whether it's, it's uh, football, basketball, soccer, baseball, team sports, I think, are great uh, character builders. Mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, it, it, you know, because even at Rio Bank, we operate as a team. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the bank isn't successful because Ford Sasser's there. The bank is successful because of the kind of team we've got and how good that team is performing uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. So I see a lot of similarities in, in that. I, I just think uh, that's one thing that our school systems, that's why I think the athletic programs are important in our school system. I mm -hmm. think that's part of the education process is learning teamwork is learning that you've got to learn how to get along with people you have mm -hmm. to learn how to work with people you have to learn how to lead people you have mm -hmm. to learn how to follow people mm -hmm. you know because uh, all of those are life lessons that are uh, used out in the real world once you get out of the education system and out uh, uh, making a living on your own yeah you know one of the things that i was involved with when i was in high school was i was in the drum line mm -hmm. and um when i was in the drum line i used to play the third the third bass so you know there was a, a series of five guys uh and i was i was right in the middle i wasn't the guy were wearing the biggest drum and i wasn't the, the smallest one i was right in the middle and one of the things that i enjoyed about that was the fact that everybody was responsible for kind of their own notes sometimes we all played them all together yeah sometimes we played them in succession of each other and that was that in itself uh, apart from learning the rudiments and all of the other things that go along with being in percussion i really enjoyed that aspect of it and and i played football too i didn't play it at your at your level i got out of, in high school because i just never grew yeah um i i, I don't think i grew past eighth grade but um, 
but I, I I did appreciate that. I did appreciate the the leadership. And there were there were guys in the locker room that maybe you didn't get along with the best, but you had to make sure that you cooperated with them out on, on the field to make sure that you were that's right victorious. And and you try to work as best as you could and learned a lot along the way. You know about what your position means, what your responsibilities Everybody's are. Everybody's working for a common goal. Right. Right. And that's 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 great. That's great that you were able to do that. And I would imagine the same thing happens with all of the referees. Right. Yeah. Everybody's responsible for their own and everybody. Yeah. So referees, I, I used to tell my guys in the locker room before we would go out on the field that uh, two things. Mm -hmm. One is I usually say um, and this is kind of a slap at the coaches because they're very competitive people, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I'd say, look, remember, we're the only adults on the field tonight, so let's act like it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, and the other thing I would tell them is, is we're the only people in the stadium that doesn't care who wins tonight. That's right. Because literally everybody in that complex, somebody has, has one, a, direction one or team the other. or the other. That they, That's you know, right. Even the local chain crew is – probably rooting for the home team so uh anyway yeah I, I do remember that there was this one game that we played and uh i remember i was I, I think i was well i was on offense so the team so our team was on defense and they had they had recruited some volunteers which were you know students and those students just so happened to be playing for the other team and i remember seeing one guy shorten the chain of the, the tenure and he put his foot there and i was like is this guy shortening it up uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, everybody on that, everybody who's watching that game is going yeah. in one direction or the other. That's yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, but I, I, you know, I told you I wanted to be a coach, and uh, and I've said this before, and I'll say it for years to come, and mm -hmm. that is, I admire coaches. I think coaches, uh, in many cases, are surrogate fathers for a lot of these boys, mm -hmm. and I, I just, um, you know, I just can't think of any greater title. For, for somebody than to be called coach. I just, I mean, that just kind of warms my heart when I when I talk to coaches. I know they commit a lot of time and a lot of energy at the expense of their own families a lot of times. And, mm -hmm. I, and so uh, even though I sometimes maybe have coaches that disagreed with positions I would take, um, I, I still admired them and I admired the jobs them. and respected them and 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 I and I still do today. I think coaches are wonderful people that have great hearts and uh, in many cases like I said are like surrogate fathers to some of these kids. Right, doing more doing more for uh, the players than just what's on the field. Let me tell you it's uh, you're teaching them how to become men mm -hmm. and productive citizens of our country and mm -hmm. uh, it's not just uh, all about winning and, and losing the football games. It's it's uh, part of the development of young men and uh, turning them in from boys into men. 2021 predictions, financial, community, forward. Yeah. Well, I I, I told you that the you know I'm I'm very bullish on our local economy. I, I'm very optimistic. Uh, I think it's going to be that part's going to be great for banking. I think we're going to. Uh, I think my bank will continue to grow as the population grows. We're, you know, we continue to open accounts. I mean, uh, every day we're opening new accounts for more and more people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, and so I, I, I anticipate to continue to see that organic growth. And when I say organic, I'm just talking about your natural growth, not the acquisition of somebody else again. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 
but I do worry about uh, you know the regulatory environment, the uh, the compliance burden that's mm-hmm. continually put on banks, and um, uh, and how banks are going to be able to keep up with that. You know that a lot of banks, um, a lot of people don't realize that you know the more regulatory burden that's stacked on banks and the more expensive it becomes you know those are expenses that have to get passed on to to, to the uh, consumer to the customer you know mm-hmm. i mean it, it, you know the bank's going to continue to maintain its profitability so somebody has to pay for that and right. as a result we're having to charge fees for things we used to not have to charge for mm-hmm. and uh, uh, have to get better spreads between how much we pay on deposits and how much we charge on loans and uh, you know all of those things carry expenses mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I do worry about our industry uh, the banking industry and community banks in particular because mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know while I'm not here to badmouth the big banks Bank of America Wells Fargo Chase mm-hmm. but if I'm a businessman uh, it would I would be pretty frustrated if I had to walk into one of those banks in McAllen Texas and find a loan officer to counsel with me on, uh, on, on an idea I've got for my business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I can go into any of the community banks down here and find a loan officer that understands my needs and, and can think outside the box and, and figure out a way to, to help, help me uh, achieve my goal. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not so, um, hardly, you know, structured and there's more, um, there's just more of an understanding. There's, of, of there's certainly more flexibility. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the un, unfortunately, the bigger you are, uh, uh, you know, the more rigid you the become. more rigid you become, the less flexible you you are. You know, and um, uh, and once that flexibility is taken away, then that limits the opportunities for our customers. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, what do you think about uh, uh, 2021 for you know the RGV? What do you see? Are you talking about for the university or just just, uh, the, just RGV in general? The, yeah, the, the community, the Ar- Rio Grande Valley. We got a whole. new mayor that's going to be yeah coming I, in. And I mean, you know, I I hate to see Jim Darling leave. I think Jim's been a good mayor for us, and mm-hmm. um, you know, but that was a decision he made, and he didn't ask my opinion, or he'd still <laughs> he'll still be the mayor. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no, I I think Jim's been a good mayor. I I like Jim, and and I wish him the very best, and. Uh, but uh, you know we have some good people that uh, want to step up, and and I I applaud people that are willing to make the sacrifice. I don't care whether it's uh, the city commission or the the school boards or mm-hmm. county commissions. Uh, you know these are thankless jobs that don't pay anything. People mm-hmm. are volunteering their time and energy, and I don't really understand why they do it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad we've got people that are willing to do it. And uh, yes, it's noble, we, definitely noble. We 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 need good business people, um, you know, sitting in those chairs, and uh, uh, and so I try not to ever be critical of decisions they make because it's uh, like I said, it's not an easy job and it's a thankless job. And mm-hmm. there, were, I, I remember years ago, many years ago, uh, I had thought about running for school board, and and I talked to a, an attorney uh, here in town that had been a school board member in Edinburgh, and. I, I asked him, told him what I was thinking about doing, asked him what he thought, and he told me, he said, Ford, he said, I've been a school board member for 10 years. And he said, in those 10 years, I always did what I truly thought was in the best interest of the school district and the students. 
And over those 10 years, I can't name any new friends I made, but I can name a lot of friends I lost. <laughs> and that's when I decided, you know what? I don't believe I need to be on the school board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Politics is its own little beast. Yeah. And so uh, that's why I, like I said, I, I admire the people that are willing to step up and and uh, fill those shoes. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, I don't understand why they do it, but I'm glad they do it because somebody has to. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and what do you, how how do you, how do you foresee kind of the, the, the future growth of Rio Bank and the future growth of Mr. Ford Sasser? Well, uh, you know, I think our bank will continue to grow. Um, uh, You know, we, we might look at another acquisition at some point. I mentioned to you that unfortunately that's, you know, there are banks that are uh, throwing up their hands all the time Mm -hmm. and just saying, you know what, um, no more. I, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've had it. Mm-hmm. You have aging directors. You have aging management. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of different reasons why banks uh, might want to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, Rio Bank is, uh, uh, you know, I love Rio Bank. I uh, We don't have, so far, that never comes up in any conversations uh, on and around our board table, mm-hmm. um, you know, other than the possibility of, of making an acquisition, but certainly not selling. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we built this big building kind of tells you what kind of commitment we have to our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a big capital investment for us, and and uh, uh, and we wouldn't have made it if, if we were thinking about exiting the, the market. Right. So, um, you know, I think we're going to continue to see our bank grow uh while we're you know uh, uh just south of 700 million in assets today i mean our our goal is that you know like i mentioned earlier you kind of set these goals for yourself and you know we'd like to be a billion in in size you mm-hmm. know uh, but when i was 30 million we were trying to get to 100 just, million just get, you know yeah. so you're, you're baby just, steps yeah as i've uh, told my daughter, if you don't uh, shoot for the stars, you'll never reach the moon. And right. uh, so, uh, you know, you want to reach as far as you can and, and don't ever cut yourself short and uh, don't ever underestimate uh, what you think you can do. I think that's a mistake a lot of people in life make, you know, mm-hmm. is they, they, they underestimate what they're capable of doing. Right. Yeah. I, I think that uh, knowing knowing your own value, knowing your own self-worth is extremely important. Very important. Because, uh, you know, that leads to confidence. Confidence leads uh, for you to be able to take some some better calculated risks and doing yeah, those and, and everybody has different risk tolerances. And, right. uh, you know, I have some friends that I wouldn't want to be their partner because they are just so risk averse that mm-hmm. uh, uh you know that they would be difficult partners <laughs> on the other hand i got some friends that are way too uh, conservative no, well they're oh. not conservative enough they're just oh. too oh they're they, just yeah yeah they, they hadn't yeah. met a banker they didn't like you know <laughs> right they're just like let <laughs> and, it ride let it ride <laughs> and uh you know and so you have kind of uh uh, both ends of the spectrum, but mm-hmm. I will say that the people that take the risks are the ones that uh, usually uh, financially do do the best. But mm-hmm. I, I also caution people not to always measure success in dollars and cents. How do you measure success? You know, uh, I I, uh, I I was telling my uh, uh, I had a a, a nephew that uh, asked me one time says, uh, "Are you rich?" When he was a little boy, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, what a strange question. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm not as rich as your daddy, mm-hmm. 
And he goes, you're not? I said, no, I think your dad has a lot more friends than I do. Mm. And so it's, uh, so, I mean, I don't know what motivated him to ask such a question, but mm-hmm. my, my point to him was don't measure success by, you know, how, financial gain. Yeah. How much money a person has in their bank account, you know, because uh, if you have your health and you, you know, you have people that you, you love and that they love you, I mean, you're already a success. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, and I just think too many people put too much uh, emphasis on material things, and material things, uh, uh, you know, that that doesn't always uh, fill the bucket. That doesn't fill the bucket, and it doesn't always bring happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, as a banker, I've seen a lot of people that are financially wealthy, and mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of them that are, you know, financially you know, not so wealthy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I have found that uh, financial wealth doesn't necessarily bring happiness. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of uh, dysfunctional families that have a lot of, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I've seen families that didn't have much money and, uh, that are the happiest, most functional families. And, and I think, you know what, I'd much rather be with that family mm-hmm. than, than the wealthy family that just doesn't get along. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that's a, a big, I agree with you. You know, a lot of people just measure everything based off of financial gain, and I think that's not what it's all about. I think that's know? very common, mm-hmm. but I, you know, but I also think, you know, that's kind of a, a um, uh, I mean, I, I hate to say that because mm-hmm. that doesn't reflect well on our society today, but I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of society that we're in right now is a mm-hmm. very materialistic society. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I hate to see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, any any sort of, um, you know, if you could, if uh, which you already kind of really gave some really great advice there, uh, anything else that you think that would, would be good sort of takeaways for somebody who's looking for maybe some good advice on how to lead a better life or, you know, any advice you could give. Yeah. You know, uh, um, one, one thing that, um, uh, only advice I would give is, is this. And, uh, you know, from the time I was a little boy growing up to even to today, and I've told my daughters this, I've told my wife this and, and, uh, I'd say always think, and when you make decisions, always think in terms of, I want to make my parents proud of me. Mm-hmm. Or now that I don't have my parents, I think in terms of, I want my wife and daughters to be proud of me, you know, mm-hmm. or, or the things I'm doing, the way I'm living, the, uh, the way I talk, the way I act, the people I associate with. Uh, you know, is that making my friends proud of me? Is it making my wife proud of me? You know, and, uh, and, you know, some people might call that just do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, sometimes doing the right thing is the right, you you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, not because not because you, it's going to get you somewhere or anything, but just because that's, that's thing. exactly right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we had a, a teller one time uh, several years ago that gave somebody an extra hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and the customer came back and said, "Hey, you gave me a hundred dollars too much." And so I had some. Uh, uh, the supervisor said, "You know, should we give that person a, uh, you know, something?" 
mm-hmm. you know, like do some, some kind of a reward yeah, or something. Yeah, something nice. And I said, mm-hmm. well, why would we do that? Mm-hmm. All he was doing was what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, it never occurred to me that we would do something for somebody who was only doing what they were supposed to do. Right. If he hadn't have done it, he he would have to live with that. It, he he would have to go to bed that night knowing he's a crook. Right, right. He's he's a thief, and that's a very low life person to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't his money. He, mm-hmm. You know, to have not brought it back meant he stole it. Right. Is that would that make his wife proud of him? Mm-hmm. Would that make his mother or dad proud of him? Mm-hmm. Would his children be proud of him for doing that? Right. And the answer, of course, is no. No. Yeah. All he did was what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to reward people for doing what they're supposed to do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And so, so anyway, I'll, I'll leave it with that. But yeah. that's, uh, uh, you know, that's, do, I've, that's the, the way right I've, I've led my life, man. Yeah. And I try and lead my life today is, uh, you know, if nobody was looking, you know, how would, how would you act? Yeah. Would you still do the right thing? Yeah. Well, hey, I um, Ford, I always appreciate our time. We've had many discussions in the past. I've been uh, um, very grateful to to know you for now going on seven years. And I was gonna um, say it's been a while. It's been it's been quite a while, and it's been a very nice ride. And and I appreciate you. I I admire you uh, for all of the things that you've done, and and thank you for doing this. Thanks, Jerry. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, I don't really have very much left in here, but uh, cheers, 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 my friend. <laughs> I'm going-